Welcome to Ahead of the Curve, a breakout investors podcast. In this episode, Aaron Warwick interviews Ross Taylor of ARS Investment Partners. First, a disclaimer from Ross. ARS Partners is a registered investment advisor. All investment and financial opinions expressed by me on this call are in any investment matters are the result of our research and our experience and are intended here as educational material, offering insight into how we think and operate. All best efforts have been made to ensure that all information we have relied on is accurate and up to date. Unintended errors may occur. Our content is intended to be used for informational and educational purposes only, and thus we believe that it's very important that before making any investment decision based on information given in this call, you should do your own analysis. Additionally, we reserve the right to trade in or out of any security we talk about without notifying those listening to the call in the due course of our business. Hey, welcome back, Ross. Thanks for joining us again. Wanted to talk today about uh, Tech Precision, TPCS. So maybe you could just start by giving us a little intro to the company and, and why you're interested in them. We've been around Tech Precision for some time. We were back involved initially when it was largely a submarine uh, component builder along with uh, the Mevion contract and products in the solar industry and the like. We've seen it transition to what is a much cleaner, clearer story now, which is focused heavily on the DOD. And we've been intrigued by it because it, you know, it's a small, unique defense contractor that has long lived programs and and people who know the way we invest know that, you know, I like this type of annuity stream uh, investing. I think it makes it very easy to find, you know, financial buyers and others. Uh, and quite honestly, if you don't find a buyer, you yourself can run the business over the long run to return substantial capital, capital to shareholders. So, you know, we think uh, Tech Precision fits wonderfully in that model. Yeah. And so Tech Precision now, after what was it, I guess last year it was 2022 or end of 2021, acquired Stadco. So they now have two divisions. Could you maybe talk about the two different divisions and, and what each of them does? Yeah, I think when you look at it, they they do somewhat similar work from a technical perspective. I look at it and I consider Tech Precision uh, the East Coast, to be the East Coast's arm of the company focused heavily on the Navy. Uh, they're not far removed physically from the electric boat shipyard, which is in northeastern Connecticut, and they're in uh, south central, southeastern Massachusetts. So you have close physical proximity. Raynor has been around for a long time and has, as I said, done a lot of uh, a lot of complex metal bending. Isn't quite the right word, but metal forming and the like. And then they were able to acquire Stadco. Stadco was a company that basically got way over its skis, borrowed money, got itself into serious trouble, was focusing. And both of the one thing both these companies actually have in common beyond what they do, and Stadco focuses on aerospace and space. So you actually have a nice blend here of, you know, from the defense business, you've got the Navy out of uh, out of the East Coast side, and you've got the Air Force and Naval Air and Marine Air and the like out in space off the West Coast side, uh, which is in the LA area. And Stadco was hurt from some of the same things that have actually acted as a drag on tech precision, which is program lag. You know, the Virginia class submarine is years behind schedule. 
the CH-53, the flagship program that we know about for STADCO, is similarly, I think it might be close to eight, nine years behind schedule. And while that was a horrible event for for Stadco, quite honestly, it gave us at Tech Precision, it gave Tech Precision a chance to buy a business for a fraction of what I feel and a small fraction of what I feel that business is actually worth. Can you talk about what you think it's worth and, and why? Yeah, I think that um, first, it's important to understand that Tech Precision is probably one of the least shareholder-friendly relations companies I've encountered in my nearly 40 years in this business. <laughs> yeah. um, I think, you know, to, you say every time you talk on a call with them, you literally feel like you're interrogating a hostile suspect. They try to tell you nothing. And so you end up having to do a lot of reading and a lot of mosaic work to try to piece everything together. But the way we look at it is we focus on the programs that we know. And what we know is that they have a substantial amount of business. They've never said what it is on the Virginia boats. They've indicated that it goes up substantially when they get to the enhanced payload package or the Virginia payload package, which increases the number of launch tubes. We believe that what one of their major products is launch tube hatch covers. They, we, they do other things as well, but we think that's a major component. Remember, they don't confirm any of this. So we're, we're kind of digging around and looking at things like, you know, who gives them a, a performance award and, you know, things of that nature. So back east, you're looking at them doing the Virginia boats, and that's two boats a year. The Navy has three, pro, you know, three outlook programs. One is 175 a year through basically, you know, 2050. One is two and one is two, 225 a year over those time frames. So here we're talking about multiple decade long programs. And they also at the same time are doing work. We believe it's likely hatch tube covers again, among other things on the Columbia class boats and the Columbia class boats. So now they call it the district of Columbia class because they actually have an attack submarine called the Columbia. You know, our boomers, our nuclear missile submarines are, you know, the probably most important component, you know, this whole thing about the Chinese spy satellite floating over Montana was going over land-based ICBM facilities. The most important component uh, from a deterrent standpoint uh, from the nuclear triad is is the boomer boats that literally stay out for six months and, and creep along and are all but impossible, if not impossible, to detect and carry. And so they need to be replaced. Those boats, the Ohio class, current class is getting old, getting far into its useful life, uh, needing to be retired. And so those boats are going to be built and they're looking at building, I think, 12 of those. And it's going to effectively be starting in two years. I believe it's going to be one a year laid down or ordered every year for the you know, next 10 years. So once again, we're talking about two major programs. We believe that, and this is, you know, our estimates, and it's just estimates. We think they get eight to, to ten million dollars a Virginia boat. Um, we believe they get more than twice that. I once asked on a call whether a Columbia was worth two x a Virginia, and the non-committal, non-answer I got led me to believe the answer was yes. Anyone mm-hmm. who listens to those calls understands how I work with with Alex Shen on those calls. But you know he he didn't deny that, and so I took that to be kind of a yes. So we're thinking that submarines are probably somewhere in the 
33 to 40 or so million dollars a year when they get to run rate. Uh, they are just starting, these programs are just starting to really ramp now after years of delay. And then they have other business out of uh, out of Raynor, which includes Mevion. We believe they won't confirm that Mevion is a proton therapy uh, device uh, that they build uh, a major component for it. These are the kind of things that get built into the basements of uh, of buildings and the like. And we think that that's a, a lucrative business as well. And so we're figuring that you kind of figure that on the East Coast side, the business, you've got something that's probably doing, we'll do 33 to the high 40s a year in revenues as they get to full program run rates. And then out West, you've got yeah, I was going to ask what's so that that's just on the um, Raynor side, the yeah. east side. And, and you're looking at probably 30, 30 to 35 percent operating margins in those businesses. Some of the valuation, some of the, the contract revenues could be higher because metal prices have gone up. But the way we build our model to be conservative is we do not build, we're not building a, uh, a premium on for additional metal costs. So if metal costs have gone up, if the price goes up $3 million, but almost all of that is metal, we're not assuming they're getting a 33% margin on the metal increase. So, you know, we're just assuming that they're getting it on like the core value of the business. Uh, out West, they have the two uh, flagship programs that we are aware of include the CH-53K, which is the newest Marine heavy lift helicopter. The Marines want to buy about 200 of those, they've indicated. Uh, they have sold them to the Israelis. There is some thought there are other parties that, that could well be interested. Yeah, you know, I was going to say they've got overseas interest as well, huh? Yeah, they do. Unfortunately, the Germans decided because they went with the CH-47, which is a much less capable helicopter, we believe, but... Um, they went for a, from what I understand was the continuity of component parts. A lot of their near allies, near neighbor allies had CH-47. So they didn't, wouldn't have to stockpile as much in the way of supplies. And anyone who's been following the condition of the German military understands that maintenance is something that has gotten away from the Germans in the last mm. five, 10, 15 years. But there are a number of players. The Israelis are, you know, have, uh, ordered what appears to be at least one squadron, maybe two squadrons of them. One of the things that's actually important is remember the CH-53Es, which are out there, are many of them, including for the Israelis, are seriously hour constrained. They literally are, are airframes that are falling, you know, rotating themselves or vibrating themselves apart in some cases. And so they, they really need to get this replaced. The Marines island hopping New Pacific littoral program involves heavily the idea of being able to use, you know, needing the, uh, air assets like the CH-53K, which is, I think, perhaps the heaviest lift-capable helicopter that we've ever built in the United States. Uh, it's big enough that you see them lifting other helicopters. Uh, the other day I saw a video of them lifting a, a uh, F-35 that had, uh, had an issue uh, and the like. So it's a very capable heavy lift helicopter you know, multiple engines, single rotor. And we see that as being something in the neighborhood of a million. We originally modeled it at a million five. We've been told that's gone up in value. We thought it would be a million five with that same kind of 30, you know, low 30s 
operating margin on it. Um, mm-hmm. We told it's gone up in that, up, you know, the value of the contract has gone up. We think that probably means that, you know, if it's gone up to a million eight or something of that nature per, and the, na- the Marines are going to be building that run in two years, I believe, if I'm, if I recall correctly, t- over 20, 21 plus a year. And if you start looking at it, you figure it's at least a 300 airframe. And I've heard people talk about four to five, but you know, my, our model works at three. Uh, if it's 300, then you have almost 15 years of, of full rate production. And at full rate, if you're looking at, you know, something in the neighborhood of a million five to two million, you're talking about something in the neighborhood of 30, to 33 million on the low end and something in the neighborhood of 42, 44 million on the high end with, you know, uh, that low 30s operating margin. So you're talking about something that gives you nine and a half to 12, 13 million in operating profit from that program alone. Um, and then we look at the F. Yes. When you put them together, what do you? Yeah, yeah, the F-15EX. And I'm one of those people who actually thinks that, you know, the Air Force is kind of said the F-15EX has been forced on them. But if we actually look at the way it operates, it's a very essential component. Uh, they look like they're going to try to replace, so they, they were going to replace the Air National Guard F-30, F-15Cs with it. It's more of a missile truck. If you actually look at one of the problems the U.S. has and all the war games that you've seen played out with U.S. and China over Taiwan, uh, U.S. base in Guam tends to get overrun fairly quickly, largely because of saturation of defenses. The F-35, F-22 are, are really cool scientific aircraft. They have really amazing capabilities. But the problem with them is they have very limited weapon load capability while retaining stealth characteristics. And you, you didn't build these aircraft. The F-15EX can go Mach 2.49, I've been told. The F-35 starts to fall, shake itself apart at Mach 1.3. The F, you know, so, you know, the F-35 can carry four missiles in its bay and right now cannot carry anything bigger than an AMRAAM. And the newest model is having its bay, the, the wall built moved on the base so they can carry bigger missiles in the future. Uh, the U.S. does not have missile range to equal the Chinese and the Russians at this time, so we need to get bigger, longer missiles. The F-15 EX can carry 12 or more AMRAAM or equivalent missiles. There's literally nothing in the U.S. inventory currently imagined or built that cannot be strapped onto an F-15 EX. And the F-15 EX supposedly has the most powerful radar the U.S. has ever put in something other than the A-1. And oh. so it itself, if you look at it, they have the ability to communicate with F-35s and, and like through data link. So you end up having it, to me, it plays a very essential role. It's a, it's a Gen 4 aircraft, meaning it's not stealth, but I was listening to someone who was an Air Force Raptor pilot talk, and he actually said that one of the problems with everything you have is stealth. It's very hard to hide a stealth airplane. But when when you use stealth and Gen 4 together, it's almost impossible to find stealth. So it's a weird thing. Stealth doesn't mean that you're invisible. It simply means it's hard to find. So we look at that and think that we can see 200 or more airframes. We think mm-hmm. it's $500 to $750 an airframe thousand dollars in airframe we're selling them to the israelis 
Uh, they're selling them under a variation. The F-15EX actually was built off of the plans for, it was effectively designed at, on other people's money. The Saudis, the Kuwaitis, the Singapore Air Force all um, came in and effectively contributed development to it. And so we're selling them right now to the Israelis. They're in at the SA for the Saudis, the QA for for the Kuwaitis. And in fact, the first two F-15EXs were actually pulled from the Kuwaiti line, which is interesting. They were literally the, the Kuwaiti QAs that were turned in by putting our equipment in. We, I believe, uh, have indicated that we have okayed a sale to Indonesia, uh, size yet to be determined, and I believe have done the same with Egypt, size yet to be determined, and I think South Korea might have interest as well. So it's a program that that's there and exciting. As I said, if you end up getting to 20 plus a year and you look at at 10, once again, 10, 15 plus years of, of run life, uh, you're talking in that case, 10 million on the low end. You're talking about 15 plus million on the high end. So you take that with the CH53 and we're talking about 33 to something in the neighborhood of close to, you know, 55 towards 60 million, uh, in revenues that should be coming out of uh, Statco when it's running at, at full production. In addition, they have a lot of, they have other programs. They are very close up. They won't tell us what they are, but sometimes you can pick things up. A while back, they had a Lockheed Skunk Works emblem on before the deal was consummated. They actually had a Skunk Works emblem on a Stadco uh, presentation that had, you know, client emblems or, or indications of who their clients were. So, you know, we don't know, but there could, they could be involved in the NGAD, the next generation air defense fighter and things of that nature. So, and they are involved in space as well. So we just valued on what we know. And as I said, so we know the F-15, the CH-53, the Virginia and the, um, and the Columbia. And we look at it figuring that it should be able to do somewhere in the high seventies towards 80 million on the low end and 100 plus million the high end from those four programs. And then you kick in other stuff going on with those kind of, you know, operating margins you're talking about. Right. Something that could generate you on an operating income basis, 80 cents to over a dollar a share in operating income with, you know, about 30 shares outstanding. They will, we believe they'll do a split. We've told we'd actually like to see them meaningfully increase their shareholder relations effort. Uh, we think that they they need to. My understanding of my of my peers as a professional is we frequently want people to tell us what we're supposed to be thinking, or at least tell us where we're supposed to be looking and what we're kind of supposed to think. And right. and and they have not done this at this stage. It runs a risk. Valuation standpoint, this this is a company that has said that it doesn't believe that it should be a freestanding public company at its size. We do think it's a very attractive asset, whether it be for private capital or strategic. We do know there were some people, I think, in the past who were uh, looking at them from a strategic basis. Nothing happened, but we actually were, were pleased. And we believe that firm was trying to value them based on trailing numbers. And, you know, this is not a trailing story. This is a come story. And once these programs ramp, you know, the money is going to start coming over the transom and it's going to be there for, you know, for 15 plus years. And quite honestly, whatever the next gens are, whether it be submarines or aircraft, they're likely going to need the capabilities 
uh, these guys provide. So we're pretty excited about the upside opportunity there. Yeah, maybe just close here with uh, you had mentioned the stock split that's expected. Maybe talk about why that's expected and, and when it's expected, because I believe that should be pretty soon. Yeah, I, I believe that they have a board meeting in uh, this is the 6th of February. I believe they have a board meeting probably inside the next week. Uh, I would think that out of that, they are going to decide on doing the uplisting. And I believe that they will do a reverse split on that time. The argument for a reverse split is simply that there are a lot of people who will, will not buy stocks, a lot of professional investors who will not buy stocks that trade under $5 a share and are not listed. And so if you go back to my hedge fund days, that $5 level is an important level because it is what allowed me to margin. A listed security over $5, I could, I could apply against margin. And so, and if it was not, I couldn't. So by getting over $5 and by getting listed, they're going to open themselves up to uh, the effectively a large class of professional investors who are at this point have not and cannot buy the stock. Um, we, you know, the thought of what they do, do they do one for four or one for three? It's kind of a tough call um, in the sense that, you know, one, both of them get you over five dollars and on one level i would think that you might go one for four and get uh get something where you end up taking it down to less than nine million shares maybe do one for three to me is makes a lot of sense because it gets you to about 11 million shares when i was running um a portfolio for a large well-known hedge fund in jeopardy time new york based hedge fund i looked for stocks like this as as alpha kickers it's got it's just pure alpha it has nothing linked to the market and I think I have a high probability of a win. And I think if I win, I make multiples and the multiple isn't likely a 2x, but it, you know, it can be two and a half, three, four x over time. And as a result, this gives me a way to make, you know, to improve my numbers. And by the way, the downside from an operational standpoint is, is relatively small because it's an execution risk. It's very hard to get moved off your programs once you're on them. And so, you know, it's it's something you can attach a long tail valuation to uh, and the like. So it's it's we think that those moves will happen. We think that we'll likely see uh, the announcement on the uplist and the reverse split, perhaps within a week or two of this of this recording. Um, and we think it will be at least one to three, if not one to four um, when it gets done. And is there I mean, in, in addition to that, will there be uh an attempt to uplist to uh, a major exchange instead of OTC? Yeah, I think what they'll do is, I think the plan is to get onto the NASDAQ, you know, the real, we'll call it the real NASDAQ, uh, okay. which is important because one of my pet peeves is people trade this stock like ax murdery. When I was <laughs> in a previous life, we had a discipline, we had a quantitative product that made us a lot of money. I won't say how much money it made, it made us a stupid amount of money. And what it did is actually, the way it did it, was it actually would bluff or short stocks in a in a fashion that is exactly the same as the way people now trade this name. And you can trade this because in when you're off a national exchange, it's a pink sheet stock. And there are really not many rules that go. But you know, an example, people come in here, they put, you know, the other day someone put an e-trade order in, looked like three thousand shares and the stock fell from you know close to two fifty down to uh, around two thirty. Uh, before rebounding back, 
things like that well getting off those those kind of banded exchanges will will help a lot it will open it up it will make it so that it's a legitimate name that you know big how big investment firms are, are willing to buy um, right and the liquidity will take care of itself you know i think we've seen this with a lot of names that through my history, people say, well, if you cut the stock the shares outstanding by a third, there'll be no liquidity. There's almost no liquidity now. And the answer is there's going to be liquidity. The key factor here for liquidity is right now, a lot of the stock is held by people who don't want to sell it because they see what's coming down the road. But as it gets more buyers, you're going to see more buy interest and you, you should see tighter buy interest. And that will create liquidity in the name, which actually helps everyone. Well, thank you. Appreciate your time on that, Ross. And uh, I know a lot of people in our community are interested in in tech precision, especially after that acquisition with Stadco and and with several of these programs uh, uh, ramping up here, it looks like in in the near future. So I appreciate you taking the time to talk with us about it today. Always my pleasure. Some or all the speakers may maintain positions in the securities discussed in this podcast. The views in this podcast expressed are those of the speakers, not breakout investors. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as a basis for investment decisions. Neither Breckett Investors nor any of its affiliates makes any representation or warranty expressed or implied as to the accuracy or completeness of the statements or any information presented by this podcast and any liability, including in respect of direct, indirect, or consequential loss or damage, therefore is expressly disclaimed. No one on this podcast is an investment advisor. No one is providing investment advice. Before investing in any company's stock, you must do your own research. Thank you for listening.